old when you use the word folk. I thought that was interesting. I thought, I said to Amber, that's very Luke Bro of you to lose, use the word folk. Yeah. You guys doing okay today? Yeah. Who's had a good day? Yeah. It's hot, isn't it? And so the best way to overcome the heat is to lean in, to engage, to open up your heart to what God wants to say. We're gonna have a great time today. I'm excited to share um, a message on Leap. And uh, last week, Bex opened up the series and she had an amazing message and she used the hula hoop as an example on stepping out of our comfort zone, all right? Because breakthrough is often on the other side of our comfort zone. And I thought that was a phenomenal start to the series. If you missed it, you can go and listen to the podcast that is available there for you. But the reason we're doing this series called Leap, it isn't convenient because it's a leap year. It is a leap year, but it isn't just because of that. It's because as a church, we're believing for a, a leap year, a year of significance for us as a church. We've never felt like we've been so strongly positioned than we are right now to leap into the future of what God has for us. We go through different seasons as a church, right? And in life, and sometimes it's about building and consolidating and building strength. And other times it's a season for leap. And we believe that 2020 is one of those years. And what we mean when we say that when we say it's gonna be a great, phenomenal, big, significant, we use all the good preacher words, it's gonna be an amazing year for us as a church. What we're saying is, because you and I, we understand that the church is the people and not the building. And so what we mean by that is we're believing that it's gonna be a great and significant step for you, for every person in this room, for every person that sits in any one of our six campuses that call Elam Christian Center Home and other great churches around the community, that it's going to be a significant year. See, God calls us to build, doesn't He? He doesn't just call us to stagnate and just to be, but He calls us to build day after day, step after step. And yet every once in a while, He says leap. Yeah. Everyone say leap. leap. He calls us to take a step that's like a little bit different from the ones that came before it. Like a step out of our comfort zone as Pastor Bix so beautifully illustrated last week. A step where we would take more ground than usual. We would, we would exceed expectations to advance more than perhaps we usually would in another season. And it may look like a small step, but for you it could be one of the most significant steps that you've ever taken. I think of Jesus calling Peter out onto the water. Right? He says, Peter, come, and Peter steps out of the water, and he walks on top of the water. It was just one small step from the boat to the water, but a massive leap for Peter to trust Jesus in this way. I think of Neil Armstrong, who first stepped onto the moon. Just one small step from the platform that he was on onto the moon's surface, and yet one giant leap for mankind. But just like Neil Armstrong taking that fateful step that day in the 60s sometime, I think it was 1969 or something like that, Anyone alive can confirm? Yep, thank you, Dean. You, must, you can't have been alive. You were 10. Really? Unbelievable. <laughs> Even though that was amazing, we would be crazy to think that that whole situation was about one step. Sure, that was the step we celebrate. That was the step that we look at and we highlight, but we'd be crazy to not identify all the things that went in place to present Neil Armstrong with that amazing opportunity. The training. The resource, the consultations, the advice, the mistakes, the sacrifices, none of which would have seemed glamorous. Like that's not part of the glory that we look at when we think of him stepping on the moon, but all of which was necessary to position him for one of the greatest steps that he would ever take. You know, before a high jumper can jump high, they must take lots of small steps to build momentum. Before a long jumper can jump long, she must take lots of small steps until the timing is right. This year, I wanna declare over your life that God is calling you to leap, to take a step out and trust in God and to trust Him in that process, but to position yourself 
for significant breakthrough. Tonight, I wanna jump into this idea of taking a leap in your finances. Now, if you're here and it's your first time in church, you're like, I knew it. I knew it. I come to church and they talk about money and like I put all my energy into the message. I had no creative juices left for the title. It's called Finance on your notes. I was like, that will do. That, that speaks to what it is. But can I start by saying this is not a message about giving? Uh, maybe you expected it to be. This is not a message about giving. Giving is really important. Like it's a massive part of how we can be obedient to God, but that's not what today is about. The truth is God wants to bring freedom to every area of your life. And money is one of the strongest forces that we face. You know, they say that money can't buy happiness, right? Maybe true, but I would rather cry in my Ferrari, right? <laughs> I don't have a Ferrari. That's not shocking. Um, let me say this, um, this won't surprise you. In no way whatsoever am I a financial advisor. I don't aim to give you financial advice. I might make some suggestions today for you to go away and consider, but my prayer, and as I've toiled over this message for a couple of weeks, is that it would be helpful, that you would hear from God, you would hear God's heart on it, and it would be helpful for you. Um, God doesn't promise to make us rich. Sorry. He doesn't pray, promise to make everything in life go smoothly, to go well. That's just not the gospel message and it's not true. But you know what he does do? He promises to reward those who have been faithful. He does give plenty of wisdom on how we can handle what God has actually placed in our hands and how we can be intentional in being generous to those around us. Even at the mention of money, probably every heart in this room responded. And it may have been a good response or it may have been a bad response. For some people, you had feelings of stress and anxiety, worry and concern. For others, maybe it was feelings of excitement and joy. Did you know that Jesus spoke more about money than he did love, heaven and hell combined? That's crazy. When I found that out, I thought, nah, that can't be right. But it turns out it's true. Why? Is Jesus money hungry? Is the church all about money? Of course not. And I'm really sorry if you've ever got that impression from anyone who's ever shared their faith or invited you to church. Our heart has always been that church is about God and people and it will always be about God and people. So why did Jesus talk about it so much? I get a sense it's because God understands the power that money can have in your life. He realises that it's this measure of value that gives you access to the world. It decides the way in which you live your life, right? Like, let's be honest, let's be real today in church. It decides what holidays you get to go on, if you get to go on any at all. It can determine what healthcare you get access to and what opportunities you get to take advantage of. The truth is Jesus spoke a lot about money. In Mark chapter 10, there's this story of this rich young ruler, remind me of Adrian. He comes to Jesus and he said to Jesus, and maybe you can relate, maybe you've heard of your mate that maybe asked the same question. He says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Like, like what's the easy way in? Like, what's the path of least resistance? Like, what just, I don't care about the other stuff, just what do I gotta do to get to heaven? And Jesus said, well, you've gotta follow all, all my commands. And the rich young ruler's like, yeah, nah, it's not my first rodeo, Jesus. I've been doing that since a young boy, tick. And in that response, Jesus sees the condition of his heart. And he goes, oh, you wanna play this game? Let's play this game. He says, there's one other thing that you haven't done. Go and sell everything that you've got and give it to the poor, then come follow me. The Bible says at that moment, he became, I love this, says, he became very sad because he was very rich. <laughs> How good. And 
Jesus uses this as an example, as a teaching moment to teach his disciples. So this takes place. And then he gathers his disciples. And in verse 23, it says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. They're like, hang on, this doesn't sound right. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's challenging. Can I, can I start with this by saying that this isn't maybe what it seems like at face value? This isn't Jesus saying rich people can't go to heaven. Like you must live a life of poverty in order to please. That's not what he's saying. What was the example with the rich young ruler that he was trying to teach? He says, sometimes, not every time, but oftentimes when people have a lot of money, they become enslaved to it. Rather than them controlling and managing their money, they find that their money ends up managing them and they can't grasp the thought of detaching themselves from it. So that's why when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, you've got to sell everything and give your money to the poor, it grieved his heart because he had become controlled by his money, not the other way around. So it's not always the case, but when we don't have the right skills and abilities to handle the money that we have, we find it can end up controlling us. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus speaks on money again. He says, don't store up treasure here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Maybe you've heard that. Now it's not saying put your money in a bank account managed by angels, right? What he's saying is, do you have part of your finance invested into the things that really matter? Like really, really, really matter. Like as part of your life invested into the eternal, into th the things that won't fade away. He talks about rust eating and, and, and moth eating and rust destroying. Are there parts of your life and your finance and your wealth that are invested in the things that will last beyond your life? You know, I, I hear it all the time. Oh, I can't afford my Encounter Camp ticket. You know, man, I wish I could. But have you seen my fresh new kicks? They're fresh. Oh man, oh, I know, I know it's impactful, like it's awesome. I just can't afford my replenish ticket this year. But girl, let me tell you, I'm excited. I just booked in for a new hair appointment. Oh, I wish, I wish I could afford to give into God's house. I wish I could tithe. I wish I could give into what God is doing in East Auckland. Like I wish I could do all of that. But I tell you what, I'm so pumped. I don't have to listen to ads anymore on my Spotify account because your boy just went premium. <laughs> that stuff's all fine. That stuff's all good, but the Scripture's challenging us like, where are you invested? Because what you put your money towards, your treasure towards, your heart will naturally follow. You know, some of life's biggest decisions are based on finance, buying a home, establishing a budget, creating a joint bank account with your spouse, spouse tithing in church, whether you go premium or not on your Spotify account. And some of these things might feel like a giant leap, but here's the truth, right? We talk about a leap. You can only take the leap unless you first take all the lead up steps. Like you only get to take the leap of buying a home if you first took the little steps in saving up for the deposit. See, Peter couldn't have stepped out on the boat when Jesus called him if Peter hadn't first got in and travelled out on the boat. Neil Armstrong couldn't have stepped onto the moon if he didn't first go through the training and step onto that spacecraft. You know, taking a leap in your finances is about starting at the end and working backwards. Darcy and I recently bought a property in Papakura, which was awesome. Praise God for that. And when we were talking to the mortgage broker about getting that all sorted and like getting all our ducks in a row and like making sure everything was sweet, um, I remember the mortgage broker, he asked me this question. He said, when you retire, 
how much money do you want to have? I was like, sorry, what? He was like, seriously, like, when you retire, how much? I was like, what sort of a question is that? I said, I want all of it. I'll take the lot. He's like, no, you can't answer like that because the way that you answer that question will determine the steps and the decisions you need to make today because your goal will determine your pace. As I prepared this message, I felt God highlight just a couple of really practical things. This might not be what you expected um, in a church sermon, but we are going after God's heart on this. And these thing, three things, I hope they help you. Um, you can write them down in your notes there. The first one is this, um, adjust to have margin. Adjust to have margin. Each of us receive different amounts of money. <laughs> Some of you are like, I get nothing. Each of us receive different amounts of money and we receive it in different ways, right? So you might get it through a salary, through a pension, benefits, allowances, inheritances, or metal detecting at the beach. I don't know. You might get free pairs of New Balance and sell them online. I don't know how you get your money. <laughs> Love Adrian, he's a good man. Um. We each get different amounts of money in different ways, but could I suggest that the amount that you get is far less important than the way that you handle it. It's so important that we work our lives to have margin in our finances. It's breathing room. What do I mean? It's, it's wiggle room. It's having something, just something left over. Living paycheck to paycheck is not only stressful, but it's also really unproductive. It leaves you in the same position every single week with no hope of things getting better. And I get it. Like the nerve of the man, the, the nerve of the millennial to stand on the stage and say that. I get that that's way harder than it sounds. And I get that you may not feel like you have a choice, but could I encourage you tonight for just a moment to maybe suggest that creating financial margin, just something left over, is a little easier than maybe you first thought it would. See, sometimes we underestimate the power of taking the first step in the right process, even if it's small. Maybe you've heard this saying, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Like you would look at an elephant and if I was like, Adrian, eat the elephant, you'd be like, I can't, it's huge. Like I can't do it. <laughs> but I just wasn't, I love you. Um, you might look at an elephant, I can't eat that. The task at hand is too big. Like I'm not even gonna start, but you take one bite. And then you take another bite and you take another bite because you can only ever take one bite at a time. And before you know it, sorry to my vegan friends, you've eaten the whole elephant. Sometimes we look at the task and it seems too much, but it's this concept of starting small and believing for something big down the track. There's this guy in the Bible named Zerubbabel. It's fun to say, say Zerubbabel. Told you, right? And in the book of Zechariah, it tells the story of Zerubbabel when he's like the governor, he's like the leader of a particular region. And at the time he gets appointed to be the leader of this region, he decides on something big. He says, I'm gonna rebuild the temple. Now, the temple had been laying in ruins for about 20 years. Maybe you feel like your financial situation has been laying in ruins for 20 years. Maybe it hasn't been 20 years, but it's been a long time. You look at it and it's just this big pile of muck. It's messed up. Half of it's gone. You don't know what's happening with it. And Zerubbabel, he determines to start rebuilding the temple. He had a vision in mind. He knew what it looked like. It was a huge task, but he decided he was just gonna begin the work. And I love what it says in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. Verse 10 says, do not despise these small beginnings. This is God speaking. Don't despise the small beginnings. Don't expect to start big every time. He says, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. 
It is absolutely vital that if you're to work your way towards financial freedom, you have to find a way to not live off 100% of your income. See, God delights to see the work begin. And when we live off 100%, we 100% guarantee ourselves to be back in the same spot on the cycle next time around. See, we shouldn't set the pace of our life and then decide to save what's left over because you know what you'll do? You'll do what I do. You'll just figure out a way to run faster. And there'll just never actually be anything left over. But rather, could I suggest you decide what's realistic for you to save, to set aside, to invest, to put towards your leap and then find a way to live off whatever is left over. You might say, well, I don't have the, I need every cent to live on. I can't do that. You might even say, if I'm honest, I don't even have enough to live on as it is. But could I say that I think you're underestimating your resilience? I know it looks hard, but I think you're underestimating your ability to adapt. See, people are incredible adapters, especially when we feel like we don't have another choice. I like how financial advisor and author Dave Ramsey said, he said it like this, sometimes you just have to act your wage. I thought that's quite insightful and often seems very unfair and yet can often be the only way forward. Start by setting up a savings account where a percentage of what you earn goes into it the moment that you earn it and don't touch it. Why? This is important because it's not about the 3%. It's not about the 5%, the 10%. I'm not even here to give you numbers. It's not about that. It's about the progress that that represents. It's not about the $10 or the $50 or the $500. It's about the fact that you would have margin in your life. This isn't just savings. What this represents is a brighter tomorrow. I came across this amazing story the other day, true story, a guy named Theodore Johnston and he lived in the 1950s and he worked for a company called UPS in the States. UPS is kind of like New Zealand courier, like a courier company. And this guy in the 1950s earned 14,000 US dollars a year and he retired with $71 million and gave away $35 million while he was still alive. Do you wanna know how he did it? No idea. That would be amazing right? if I could give you insights into that. <laughs> but this is how the story goes. Theodore Johnson was there one day and he had a friend that was a bit more clued up. And his friend came to him and he said, Theo, I'm gonna make you rich. And he said, me, rich? I only earn $14,000 a year. People like me don't get rich. He said, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna tax you, like from friend to friend, I'm gonna tax you 20%. He said, you're crazy, like I'll die. Like, there's no way I could possibly live if you tax me a further 20%. And he said, I know you'd live. I know you'd adapt. Do you know why? He said, because if the government today announced an extra 20% tax, you know what you'd do? You would moan and you would complain and you would kick and you would scream and you'd blame the government. You'd blame Jacinda Ardern or John Key, whatever your affiliation. It would be somebody else's fault. And then you know what you'd do? You'd pay it because you have to. And then you know what you would do with what was left over? You'd adapt because you have to. The problem is many of us don't see investing and saving and putting something aside as a have to. So rather than living off a fractionally smaller amount of our income and building towards our leap, we just live a fractionally better life and stay on the same cycle. You might think, what difference does $10 a week make? I'll be real with you, nothing. Like it doesn't, right? Like what difference does $10 a week make? Probably nothing. But you know what? If you save $10 a week, I know this isn't rocket science, no refunds, but 
at the end of the year, you're gonna have $520. With interest, it might be close to $550. You know what you can't do with $10, but you can maybe do with $550? Leap. And we look, oh, there's no way I could save $550. There's just no way, but by chipping away, eating the elephant one bite at a time. Look, I know this isn't rocket science. And for those of you who have um, managed this well, this might be elementary for you. And if it is, please just join me in prayer as we go through this, that this might be helpful to somebody else. You know, maybe the biggest leap that you could take in your finance is actually a step backwards. To give something small up, to forego a luxury, to get creative on how you make ends meet. Maybe the biggest leap you could take is a small step in the right direction. Because just like Neil Armstrong stepping onto the moon was just one step, but for him it was a giant leap. When you commit yourself to living with margin, you probably won't even notice the difference right now, but what it does is it prepares you to take a leap later. Second thing is to put your money to work. Put your money to work. Now, the typical standard approach as to how we earn money, this would be widely agreed across the world, is that you trade your time for money. Like, I'll give you an hour of my life, Zach, and if you give me $20 of your money, we got a deal. And the way that we approach it is if I trade more time, I get more money. Now, this is a great place to start, but it's limited. Because the problem with this, and you'll agree with me, is we don't have enough time. I don't have more time to give with church and family and hobbies and everything else that you do, school, university. You don't got more time to give, to trade. And so we have to find a way to make the money that we do have work and multiply itself. Most people, and this isn't everyone, some people do lack money, but most people don't lack enough money. They lack the tools and the perspectives to make money work for them. See, you shouldn't be working for money. Money should be working for you. And Jesus addresses this in Matthew 6, verse 24, right? He says, you have to understand, he says, no one can serve two masters because you'll end up hating one and loving the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot, and then just when you think like you're not quite sure what he's talking about, he comes straight at it. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. This was always about money. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. He's saying, devote yourself in service to God and become the master of your money. It works for you, not the other way around. One of them you will serve and one of them you will master. And if you choose to serve God, He's gonna equip you and help you to master your money. But if you choose to serve your money, you're at, at best gonna attempt to master God. And I'll give you a clue that won't work out too well for you. See, sometimes we get this relationship between God and money and, and us, we get it all mixed up. We get it all mixed up the way around. And if we're to be honest, we find ourselves asking God and praying particular prayers. We find ourselves in prayer asking God to help us so that we can serve our real master, money. And when we do that, we, we ask God to help us, sorry, we ask money to help us make our decisions, money to control our life, money to dictate our commitments, and we let money determine our state of joy. But you were always meant to master money and serve God. It should be God that helps make our decisions, God to lead our life, God to dictate our commitments, and God to determine our state of joy. Like if we only let money make our decisions, I'll tell you right now, our Papakura campus, who's just had the biggest month we've ever had since we launched, wouldn't even exist. Like it wouldn't even exist. It would be just a moment of thought at best, a dream in a heart, 
because the truth is for us to step out and take that as a church, like church-wide, was a massive financial leap. Like we sought wise counsel, we had peace from God, it all lined up, it made sense, but like according to the bank and other people, that didn't make sense. So if we let money make all our decisions, we wouldn't have done that, but God said do it, and so we went. Did you know that your $10 loses value over time? Which is a really weird concept. It's this thing called inflation. Like do you remember, maybe I'm speaking to the older people, do you remember when $10, you could get a movie ticket, a drink, and popcorn? Now it's $10 to sniff the popcorn. <laughs> like, like over time, the money we have, has, have, loses value. And so if we're not careful and vigilant and smart and wise and strategic with what God has placed in our hands, what we do have will slip between our fingers. I wanna let you know that God is fully in favour of you using the systems and the structures available to multiply what you have. I think of the parable of the talents. This is one of my favourite stories in the whole Bible. The master gives three of his servants three different portions of money and he goes on holiday expecting that when he returns, they would have multiplied it. He gives one five, one two, and one one. And the Bible says he gives it to them according to their abilities. Isn't that interesting? Because we compare what we've got. It's not fair. I got this amount and they got that amount. They seem to be more blessed. If you want more, just increase your abilities. The master gave according to their abilities and he went away. And when he came back, he found that the one had five doubled. The one had two, he also doubled. And the one who had one out of fear buried it in the ground. When the master came back, he, he dug it all up and he handed it back to the master. And you know what the master who represents God in the story, you know how he responded? He said, you lazy and wicked servant. I love what it continues to say from here because that's sort of like the crux of the story and often what we only hear. He says, you lazy and wicked servant, the least you could have done, the least, like you had so many options, but the least you could have done was put it in a bank account to earn some interest. I didn't even know they had bank accounts back then. Oh, that's amazing. He's like, the least you could have done. And you know how I know as I read the story that there were other methods? Because the other two doubled their money. There's no way you're doubling your money through interest in a bank account, especially not nowadays. So there were other methods. They worked, they multiplied. They were able to turn what they had into double that amount. And so I, I gather from this, and it's clear to me that God, who, who is represented by the master in the story, is okay with us using the systems and structures available to multiply what we have. But listen, multiplication isn't about wealth. It's about stewardship. Maybe you've never heard that word. It's about being faithful with what's in our hands. Because when we honour what God has given us, He knows that we can be entrusted with more. What did He say to the two servants that doubled their money? He said, well done, good and faithful servants. It wasn't their money. He was looking after it. It's not your money. We've been called to look after it and to multiply it, and to be wise with it. Faithfulness looks like multiplication. Look, the point of this is not more money. The point of this is more freedom. It's more opportunity to impact other people's lives. Because if you just want more resource for yourself, God sees you as a dead end, right? But if you wanna actually start small, put your money to work so that you could be a blessing in the lives of others, then God will bless you in that faithfulness. I'm not even close to having all the answers for you. And I realise that this is a really big topic and we probably could have done a full series on this, but there's some other great stuff out there. But what I do know is that this is an area of life that God wants you to flourish in. He wants you to get breakthrough in it and He wants to help you do it. We need a fresh perspective 
on our, the relationship that we have between us, between God and, and money. Because we were never meant to be enslaved to money, but we were meant to serve God and master and take control over our money because Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. But the great news is that you get to choose. Final thing I wanna encourage you, and it's in your notes there, is this. And if I'm to be honest, this is probably the most important, practically speaking. Be realistic with your season. Be realistic with your season. You need to be realistic with your season or you probably won't ever experience a better one. Every person has unique experiences in managing their money and it's important that you read your dials and you are completely honest with what works for you. This is the problem, we compare too much. We look at what works for someone else and we assume it'll work for us, but it doesn't. Did you know that some people can save money by using a credit card? But if you're to be honest and read your dials and figure out what actually works for you and you know that if money was right in front of you that wasn't yours, but you didn't have the self-control to not spend it, don't get one. It doesn't matter if your friend has one. It doesn't matter if it gets you free chips at McDonald's. Like It doesn't matter what perks it has. It will rob you and crush you because you don't have the ability yet to handle it. You've gotta be honest with the season that you are in. Don't compare your spending habits to friends and colleagues because when you wanna try and live like them and spend like them and it's out of your means, what it does, it enslaves you back into the same cycle, meaning you'll never get to actually afford it for real. But to say, here I am. I'm not focused on what I don't have, but I'm thankful for what I do have. And I'm determined and I'm committed to being faithful with that, to acting in wisdom, to seeking out wise counsel, to starting counsel, to starting out small and to multiplying what I have. You might have to say today isn't about a leap, but it's another step and it's another step. And I'm believing that I'm working my way towards more financial freedom. Um, band, you guys can join me. Um, Darcy and I got married in 2015. So soon enough, we'll be celebrating five years uh, of marriage uh, next month, which is pretty exciting. And I remember when we first got married, we moved into the, one of the little units at El Manurewa campus. I'm telling you, that thing's small. But and it was old, it was dated, it was very like Jehovah's Witnessy, and like, you know, it was, that's who we bought it from. It was just dated and it was gross. Like, as millennials, we wanted to start nice. But that wasn't our season. And we started in this place, and I remember like there was no internet, it was annoying, it was really far from our botany campus where we were working at the time, and the drive and the traffic was pretty unbearable, but it was cheap. And I remember having a conversation with Darcy one day, and I said, we just have to hold on for the ride. I was like, we just have to stay here as long as we can possibly bear it because for every week we're here, we're closer to our goal of owning a home in Auckland one day. Like we had started to save, but the rate that houses were going up was going faster than we could save. So with our savings every week, we were further apart. How encouraging. A good friend of mine at the time already owned a home in Auckland. A lot of my high school friends were earning 20, 30, 40, 50,000 dollars a year more than I was, but that wasn't us. And that wasn't our season. Auckland was too expensive to buy in and so we were determined to make our money work for us. So rather than sitting back and complaining, Auckland's so expensive, it's unrealistic, like there's just no way we can do it. Rather than sitting there and saying, it's all the boomers fault and we've been hard done by. No, we haven't. We just face unique challenges like they face unique challenges and we just need to find unique ways to go after the same goal. You can complain or you can actually just get on with it. And I don't mean that harshly, it is hard. 
proportionately, it's far more difficult to buy a home today. And I know many people in this room that it weighs on your heart. Keep going, keep praying. God has got your back and He wants you to flourish in that. But we were determined to not just complain, but to find a different way towards the same goal. And we had no help from parents, no inheritance, but we just started saving. You know what that looked like? After church, I know you got like pulled pork sliders going down today, but often we'd be like, let's go to Burger Fuel and it'll be mean and we'd go to Burger Fuel and then all of the homies would buy $18 meals and we'd buy $8 kids meals. Straight up, we still buy those. It's good, it's nutritious. We just committed ourselves for a season to not buy expensive clothes and we made other sacrifices along the way. This doesn't mean we were stingy. Like we still looked for ways to be generous. You know what it meant? We just counted every sacrifice as a win and not a loss. And we knew that in this process, if we didn't have God on our side, we had nothing. And it's not that, don't hear this wrong, God doesn't give us houses and things like that because we give in the offering, but we did know that we wanted to honour God the whole way through. And despite cutting back on the burger fuel and the clothes and all the stuff, we knew it was important that we continue to be faithful and give regularly into church. We wanted to maintain the way that we would honour God in that. And so we did that and we bought a house in Hamilton for half the price that we would buy it in Auckland. And because we used my KiwiSaver to buy it, we had to live in it for six months. That's right. We lived in Hamilton and we worked here. Ah, it's so hard. It is. That sucked. But we had our eyes on the goal. We counted every sacrifice as a win and not a loss. You know what that meant? It meant really early mornings and late nights. It meant we didn't get to hang out with friends a lot. I mean, when everyone's like, oh, we're gonna go to the beach and hang out, it's gonna be. And we're like, yeah, I'll just drive an hour and a half to get home, so catch you up. <laughs> so there's all these sacrifices along the way, but we had our eyes set on the goal. Why? Because we were determined to do what we needed to do in our season to make our money work for us. Cut a long story short, we sold that house after owning it for three years, not long ago, and we made some money out of that. Praise God, that's good. Um, and that allowed us to buy a property in Papakura not long ago, which... Uh, if, if you know our story and, and what we bought, it's ridiculous. There's no way we could have bought that. I'm telling you, Papagoda, Metropolis, it's, it's the glory days. There's no way we could have bought that if we hadn't first have done what we did. But also I know there's no way that would have happened if God hadn't have been involved. I remember the mortgage broker calling me to tell us that our finance had been approved by the bank for this new property. I love this. And he says, I'm, I'm speechless. He says, I don't know what to say. He said, oh, I, he goes, every time I try to submit an application like your one, it pretty much always gets declined. There's nothing more I could say except it's a miracle. And I said, well, I happen to know a God who does miracles, so I'm not as surprised as you are. <laughs> he loved it. And please hear me, this is not a boast. Um, we had to work really hard for that. I don't know other people are working really hard to go after their dream. But it's about playing the long game and not looking at the elephant and going, oh, it's too hard, but just taking the bite and just taking a step forward. Don't get this mixed up with some like prosperity gospel, right? But the truth is God does want you to flourish. God does have good things ahead for you and God will do what God promises to do, but we must do what God has asked us to do, to be faithful 
to act according to wisdom, to seek wise counsel, and to build into something that is bigger than ourselves. And I'm not exactly sure what a leap in your finances looks like, but I know that God wants to help you and I know that it won't happen overnight. Maybe your lead up to your leap is setting up a savings account with 10 bucks a week. Maybe your next step is to look into some really basic investing options, some really good ones out there. Maybe you've been serving money and trying to control God and it's time that you flip that up the right way. And you started to give regularly in church so that you could build a foundation in your life where God was the Lord of your life and He would be the one to help you make decisions because you were designed to serve God and master your money. Adjust to have margin because God rejoices to see the work begin. Put your money to work because faithfulness looks like multiplication and be honest with the season you're in because maybe, just maybe, for you, it looks like acting your wage. Let's pray. God, I thank You that um, I love the Scripture, God, that You have in Your Word and we believe it to be true when You say that You take delight in every detail of our lives. Maybe we didn't expect to hear a message today on money, but I pray, God, that the thing that people heard most today is that You care about our lives and that you want us to win and you want us to flourish and you want us to work to a place of more freedom so that we could be a blessing in the lives of others. God, I pray for incredible wisdom and insight over every person here. Would you give them great strategy as to how to build a plan for their life by your guidance and that you would bless them. I pray God that in their faithfulness, you would reward them and that they would be able to be proud of the steps that they've taken, but also be able to look back and say, there is no way I can explain that except for God. God, I pray that you bless every person. I thank you, God, that what you've given us is enough. In Jesus' name. I just wanna invite everyone just to stay where you are. I'm gonna pray one final prayer. Maybe you've come into this place today. And maybe you'd say, oh, I'm a church person or maybe you've just visited and, and I hit the nail on the head where I said it was a bit of a shock to hear about money today. I hope you heard the heart on the message, but I wanna pray one final prayer. And it's for anyone in this room today where if you were to be honest, you would say Jesus isn't the centre of your life. Every single one of us has sinned. Every single one of us has chosen our own way above God's way. And what the Bible says is that this sin, it separates us from a perfect God and it separates us eternally. But the greatest news that the world has ever heard is the fact that God made a way for you to be reconnected back with your Father in heaven. And it's not because of what you do and it's not because of what you've earned and it's not because of how much you deserve it, but it's a free gift of grace. He says, as you are right now, I wanna start a brand new journey with you. Maybe you'd be praying this prayer for the first time. Maybe if you'd be honest, you once had Jesus at the centre, but right now He's not. Well, the great news is exactly as you are, you're one prayer away from starting a brand new journey where there's freedom, where there's peace, where there's life and there's the promise of eternity in heaven. I'm gonna pray this prayer out loud and I invite you to pray this in your heart, but don't just go through motions. This isn't for anyone who just feels like it's maybe a good idea, but mean this. Mean this and believe that God's gonna make you brand new today. Say, dear God, I acknowledge that I've sinned, I've chosen my own way, but I choose to turn from that. I choose to repent and turn to a life with You. God, I ask You to forgive me of my sin and make me brand new today. And I thank You that You do. I thank You that You love me, that You went to the cross and You died so that I could walk in freedom today. 
Jesus, would you come in and be the Lord and the Saviour of my life in this moment? I commit my life to you, holding nothing back. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to do something brave. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to put your hand up nice and high. I'll see your hand, you can put it straight back down. That's just you acknowledging. You know what Jesus said? He said, if you acknowledge me before man, I'll acknowledge you before my Father. So this is a significant moment for you. This is where it really counts. This is where you're saying, I'm all in holding nothing back. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want you to lift your hand in three, two, one, go now. Awesome, 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 awesome. Amazing, anyone else? Yep, if you put your hand up, you can put it back down. Amazing, four or five people already said yes to Jesus. Maybe there's one more person, you're like, yeah, but I'm messed up and I'm crazy, but there's all this stuff going on. God wants to meet with you right now today exactly as you are. Is there anybody else? At the back, amazing. Thank you. I'm gonna pray a prayer and at the end of this, we're gonna celebrate because there is nothing that the Christians in this room like to see more than lost ones coming home to their father. We're gonna celebrate. God, I thank You for lives changed today. I thank You that You've made them brand new and given them a fresh start. God, would You surround them with the right people? Would You put vision into their heart for the life that You have ahead for them? I thank You that Your grace is enough for them today. And we celebrate that lost ones have come home and there are new sons and daughters of God. We thank You for that in Jesus' Name. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate those people. That's amazing. 